0: Heavenly Father, it is, um, it's just a privilege to open your word today, and I just pray, God, that you would speak to us powerfully, that you'd open our hearts and open our ears to receive what you have to say to us. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this congregation uh, in their new, new home here in New Lenox. God, I just pray that uh, great ministry would happen from this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is awesome to be here, guys. I kind of consider this a, a, a church that's dear to my heart. Um, I've been here maybe three times now but this is my first time seeing the new building. I've been following it kind of on pictures online and talking with Paul, but it is really cool to see it. This is your own home, you know? It's, this is it's exciting. Drove through this neighborhood down the street and just thinking there are probably a lot of people in this community that are really curious what's going on here. There's probably people in this community that want nothing to do with Jesus at this point. And you have a chance to be salt and light in this community, in this neighborhood. It's really exciting. Uh, it's kind of you're in a very different place than the church I'm at, Grace Church in in Lansing. We just celebrated our 75th anniversary, and it was a big celebration. We had pastors from the, from our past that came, and I think we had 350 people that came for that morning. Um, so we've been in the same building for 75 years, and we're sort of on this waning edge of. If we're honest, our church kind of got to this comfortable place, and became a little bit inward focused and as people moved or people passed away our church got smaller and smaller and our effectiveness in our community reached a point of really struggling most of our members now are people who have moved out of lansing and are driving back because this is still their church home but we haven't done a great job of reaching our own community that's our growing edge we're learning how to do that but you're in a totally opposite end of the spectrum you're now planted in a new place and you have the chance to start reaching out to this community, just like we have to relearn how to do. So I think our message today is actually going to apply to both of our churches and both of our situations. Um, I've been at Grace for three and a half years. I do, I'm an associate pastor, so there's two of us on staff. Part of the job that I do is the youth ministry at the church. I work with the junior high and senior high kids and the college students, and I love it. It's so much fun. Um, it's kind of how God has wired me. Working with teenagers, so I just got back from uh, a winter retreat called Spring Hill. It's up in Michigan. Maybe a few of you have been there. Maybe it's part of some of your stories. It's a it's an amazing weekend. Uh, you got we've got 39 high schoolers, crazy squirrely high schoolers up there, and I'm in charge of keeping keeping them in check. It was interesting, but so three church vans and a whole lot of life change. We saw a couple of kids who came. We have a lot of community kids in our youth group couple of them that came to know the Lord for the first time really went kind of not knowing what they were getting into and met Jesus in a personal and powerful way it was really cool so one of the things that they have up at this camp is they've got they got all these kind of fun activities it's a big draw to get kids to come who maybe don't know Christ and one of the things they have is paintball you guys ever you know what paintball is how many of you have done paintball before all right so I I joined the paintball group and I shot up some of our freshman girls it was really fun um, but it reminded me of the first time that I ever did paintball. It was when I was 22, and I had just gotten a job as a youth pastor at a, at a small church in Iowa. And I'd never heard of paintball before, and I had a few kids that were really into it. It's so like, oh, Pastor Dennis, you've got to come and do it with us. So, hey, sure. I'll. So I show up, not really knowing what I'm getting into. But I figure, you know, we have guns, we're shooting people. So I had these camouflage shorts that I wore. I was thinking I was pretty cool. And then I had this like, black t-shirt, and I put on this bandana that was black. I thought I looked really tough. And I, I kind of did look tough. But I really didn't understand paintball. You're getting shot by, by balls of paint this big, and they hurt. I wore shorts. So by the end of the day, I just had bruises and welts all over my body. Of course, they were all like in long sleeves, long pants. I had no idea what I was getting. I was not prepared for the battle. And you know what, that, that story somewhat applies to what we're going to learn about today. We're going to learn about being prepared for the spiritual battle that we fight. I went into that paintball match, I was not prepared. But I wonder if sometimes we go into the spiritual battles of our lives completely unprepared. So we're going we're to talk about that a little bit. We're going to study a passage that I'm really excited to open up with you guys. I really enjoy preaching, I enjoy just opening God's word and, 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 and learning with you. Um, Hopefully, I'm learning as much today as you are. Our passage today is Acts 13, uh, verses 4 through 13. So you're welcome to to open to that. And uh, as you're finding it, let me just kind of tell you the theme that we're going to be studying today. The theme is this. When we share the gospel, we engage the enemy of souls in spiritual combat, in spiritual battle. So we must be prepared for the spiritual battle. As we walk through this passage, I want to point out four steps to sharing the gospel. And a lot of that's going to have to do with this spiritual battle that we're going to be talking about. So, four steps in sharing the gospel. Now, this is kind of built on an assumption. The assumption that it's built on is that we're all called to share the gospel. That whole Great Commission thing, go and make disciples of all nations. Your church is in a really important place of this right now. You're called to reach this community. You're called to share the gospel. And that's not just Pastor Paul's job. That's all of your job. So it's built on that assumption as we study this passage today. Um, Why don't you read it with me? I'll read it aloud, and please follow along. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there... They sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Paul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You, son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Four steps in sharing the gospel. I'm going to kind of walk through this passage and kind of do it in in small sections, and I want to start with just verse 4. The first step to sharing the gospel is obey the Holy Spirit's leading. I want you to look at the first word. The first word is so. When we see this, it's a transitional word. It points us back to something. This is kind of a conclusion of what we just read. So we've got to look back to verses 1 through 3, which you studied last week. And what we see there is that the Antioch church commissions Saul or Paul and Barnabas. And that happened while they were worshiping and praying verse 2, while they were worshiping and praying the the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Paul. And then, to me this is an amazing part of what happened is that they were called to be set apart and then they obeyed. They did it. They went. And like I said kind of in the intro this is is a disclaimer that I want to put on. Not everyone is called to be missionaries to be overseas or to be evangelists like a Billy Graham. But everyone, every Christian is called to evangelism. Not everyone's called to be Billy Graham, but every Christian is called to evangelism. That scares a lot of people. We hear that word, we kind of cringe a little bit. We talk to somebody about Jesus. We get all nervous. We start getting in cold sweats. I mean, I get it. I I do that too sometimes. Uh, One of the places that I'm really trying to share the gospel with with people is at the gym, I go to this gym in Lansing, and you know, there's, there's two Christians there that I know of, and a lot of people that need Jesus. And you know sometimes I, I try to make that transition and I taught, you know, and I get nervous sometimes too. but we are all called to evangelism. It's not just a pastor's job. And I think once Christians start to understand that and start to live that out, we're going to see the gospel going forth in incredible, powerful ways. So the pre-story of Paul and Barnabas. Um, That's important as we get into verse 4. So some things that I want to point out that we saw in verses 1 through 3. First of all, they were sensitive and willing to hear the Holy Spirit. It happened when they were worshiping and praying. You get this picture. It's a really beautiful picture of a church. They're they're worshiping, they're praying, they're fasting. It seems like ministry is happening, and it's very sincere. They're living in community. It's a picture of a church that I want to be a part of. And while that's all happening... The Spirit calls them to be set apart. You know, why did they get called to be set apart there? I wonder if, if some of it had to do just with the environment that they were in. They were in a place where they were seeking God. They were in a place where they were in community with other Christians who were also seeking God. And it's like, when we're in that environment, isn't it a little bit easier to hear the Holy Spirit speak? It was like I was just at Spring Hill this past weekend. You know, some of our kids are like, wow, I've never experienced God so powerfully. Why is is it so powerful here? Like, you know, God is the same here in Everett, Michigan as he is in in Lansing, Illinois. But you're in an environment right here where everyone is focused on the Lord. They're seeking him. They're reading his word. Of course you're going to experience him more powerfully in that environment. Do we often put ourselves in that kind of environment where we're sensitive to hear the Holy Spirit speak? That's an important lesson here. I like to I like to listen to Moody Radio sometimes. And when I think about this first point of obeying the Spirit's leading, you know, I think a, a fair question becomes well, what about when you don't hear the Holy Spirit leading? Or how often does the Holy Spirit talk to us? I like to think of it sort of like my Moody radio station, where, you know, I can tune it in in the morning and I hear some great teaching, I'll hear some good music. But those mornings that I don't turn it on, Moody radio is still broadcasting. The voices are still going out. I'm just not tuned in. And I wonder if maybe that's sort of like how the Holy Spirit is in our lives. The Holy Spirit is, is speaking all the time, but so often I'm just not really tuned in on the dial. I'm not in a place where I'm tuned in to listen. Paul and Barnabas were tuned in. I think that's a lesson for us, is that the Holy Spirit is speaking, but we, we first have to listen. We have to tune our dials into him. We could, we could spend a, a whole morning talking about how to do that. That's, that's a sermon for another day. Maybe next time I visit, we'll talk about how do you discern the Spirit's voice or, or his leading. But that is an important pre-story in this message today. If we want to share the gospel, we've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, because there are going to be times, and I'm sure some of you have had times like this, where you're in, in a place or grocery store or somewhere, and it just seems like the Spirit is saying, go and talk to you ever had that happen? Some of you have. Where it's just like, you know in your heart, God wants you to go to someone and and, and initiate a conversation. Now, if I'm honest, I, I experienced that a fair amount of times. But there are times where I don't obey. I make excuses. But but God, I, I don't they look busy or I, I I don't really know them, or I, you know, I got to get going home. Or I, I make excuses, and I think we all do. There are times the Spirit leads us to talk to someone about spiritual things, and we make excuses sometimes. We don't obey. But that's what's powerful about what Paul and Barnabas did. God set them apart in this time of worship. It was just a church service like today. It could be you today, where God is putting something on your heart, setting you apart for a ministry. But what Paul and Barnabas did is they left worship And they went on their mission. They obeyed. So we need to obey the Holy Spirit's leading. And I love how they were sent out. They were sent out with prayer and fasting from their church community. That's beautiful. It wasn't, hey, good luck. It's, we're in this together. And I think that's how church is called to function. You know, if we all left this church service today, maybe the Spirit even would say something to us about someone we need to talk to, something we need to do. What if we left this church service in support of each other, praying for each other, sharing those convictions with each other? I'd like to think the Lord would honor that and bless that. And maybe along with that, isn't it really important if what I'm saying today is true, that we are in a spiritual battle? If, as I would leave the doors today with a conviction on my heart of what the Spirit wants me to do, the reality is that there is a spiritual battle. As I walk out these doors, the enemy is is ready to pounce and attack on, on that conviction. And we'll talk about that as we get into some of the other steps. Let me just give you a little bit of a brief timeline. I, thought, I just found this interesting. Maybe you'll find it interesting. So Paul and Barnabas' journey. So they get sent out, and this happened somewhere around 46 A.D., which is interesting because Paul's conversion took place somewhere around 35 A.D. So Paul had 11 years of very small little missions, and just growing spiritually before he was sent on his first missionary journey. Now, I don't know, when I thought about Paul, I always thought just like, man, he met Christ and he just like went out and started doing crazy ministry and crazy things for Jesus. But he had a time of preparation, 11 years before that happened. This this is considered his first missionary journey. We don't have a whole lot of information about what happened in those 10 years. He did go to Jerusalem a couple of times. He met with Peter once. But we don't have a whole lot of information. And this journey that he gets called out for would last a year and a half. That's a pretty long journey. And then from there he has a second and a third. I mean, he, he's, he's living the missionary life from here. So take a look at this map for a second. Can you pull that up? Fantastic, thanks. So this is where they start. They start in Antioch. And it says they went down to Seleucia, which is about a 20-mile walk. And that from there, they sailed to the island of Cyprus. Cyprus was apparently where Barnabas was originally from. So he has some familiarity with it. But that's almost a 180-mile journey by boat. And they arrive at the island Cyprus. And from there, we don't have a whole lot of information. They arrived here. And the next thing we pick up the story is that they've walked to Paphos, which is another 120 mile walk. And it says while they were on that journey, they were sharing the Word of God in the synagogues. We don't have much information about what happened. Maybe there was no fruit from their ministry. We really don't know. But what a commitment! They sailed a couple hundred miles, they walked another 140 probably a place where Paul had never been? That's a, that's a frightening calling that the Holy Spirit put on their heart. This is a, a big commitment. This would be like one of you today leaving this church saying, I think God has called me for the next two years to go to a place I've never been and to do ministry. Wow. When I thought about it in that perspective, this kind of gave me new respect for what they were doing. Well, I don't want to get too long on this first point because there's three other points and I don't want to keep you here all morning. So let me give you a summary of what we've talked about in this first point. We're called to obey the Holy Spirit's leading. So we see that the Holy Spirit does lead. Paul and Barnabas were in a sensitive place where they could hear it. They not only heard it, they obeyed. And they went with prayer support and they went with physical support. Let me go to the second point. It's one thing to hear the Holy Spirit's leading and obey. Second, though, we have to expect opposition. And this is really found in verse 8. If you look at verse 8 with me. Elymas, the magician. Who is this guy? Well, here's what we know about him. We don't know a lot. In verse 6, he was mentioned as, he was described as Bar Jesus. Bar Jesus simply meant in those in the language translation, son of Jesus. He's not the son of Jesus Christ, but Jesus was a fairly common name at the time. So he's son of somebody, some Jesus. But it is a bit ironic when you think of the son of Jesus being the one that is opposing the gospel of Jesus. I think there's a bit of irony in this. It also says that he's a magician. Well, he's not David Copperfield at the time, but this is more of like a spiritual sorcery power. He, he was relying on some sort of demonic powers to do things that were miraculous. We also see that he was Jewish, and it describes him as a false prophet. This is an important figure in this passage. We also see that he was with the proconsul. Um, this was So he was a, in a high-up position with this guy, Sergius Paulus. So he's, a, he's in a place of power. He is... A false prophet. Why is Elymas opposing Paul and Barnabas? Well, I think at the core of it, he's opposing them because the gospel is going forth. And if he is a false prophet, he is against the word of God. He's against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is a prime example of what I think is still happening today. That there is a spiritual battle going on. I said that at the beginning, the theme for today was that when we share the gospel, we engage the enemy of souls in spiritual combat. You Guys, there is an enemy of our souls. There is, and it's Satan. And he will do whatever it takes to draw us from the truth of Jesus Christ. Our souls, there's a battle for our souls. And it's like we know that in our head, but we just kind of dismiss it. We don't really live as if there is a spiritual battle for our souls going on. What do we know about Satan? Well, We know he's the father of lies. We know that he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Of course, when the, go- the gospel is going forth, he's going to battle that because he wants our souls. He wants to destroy us. That's what the scriptures tell us. So when we go out and we share about Jesus Christ, we should expect that there will be a battle. The more courageously we share, the more opposition we should expect. I don't think Satan's going to let souls go without a fight. Maybe you've experienced that in your own life. Maybe you've experienced that as you've shared with somebody. Think about it. In a spiritual realm, there's nothing really more important than this to Satan. Satan. course he's going to battle. I wonder even if, and this is convicting as I think about my life. I wonder even if if we're not experiencing much spiritual battle in our lives, I wonder if it's that we're not having much effectiveness. I mean that's convicting for me. There have been some points in my life, and maybe I'm even still on the tail end of one of those where I'm kind of comfortable. I'm not experiencing a whole lot of spiritual battle. Am I I really fighting the battle? So, all right, Elymas. His intentions are pretty clear. It says that he was seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. That's what we should expect in our opposition. If we share Christ with someone, we should expect that in one way or another, there's going to be an effort to turn that person's soul away from the gospel. And what's interesting is that he's seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Well, why is the proconsul interested in the faith? If you saw what it said, the proconsul had called for. Paul and Barnabas, to share the word of God with him. He was interested. The battle is on. I don't think this is just a super spiritual story from 2,000 years ago. Satan's intentions are exactly the same today. He still wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He still wants souls. We should expect opposition. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I think maybe Satan wants us to be oblivious. He wants us to just kind of go through life not really knowing there's a spiritual battle going on. When we experience opposition, to just take it personally and move on. You no, know, I think when we're aware of the battle, we're going to be prepared for the battle. You now, this, this really points to a really important passage. Uh, if you want to look on the screen, we'll have it up there. Um, I want you to look at Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a lot of truth in that passage. There is a spiritual battle going around. We're in We're in it. And I think if we're oblivious to it, we're right where Satan wants us. This is pretty relevant for today, this expect opposition point. We need to open our eyes to this spiritual battle. We need to be prepared. We need to engage the enemy of souls. We need to fight this battle. So first, we need to hear the Spirit's leading if we want to share the gospel with someone. But second, we need to expect opposition. If you feel called to talk to somebody, maybe a brother-in-law, sister-in-law, aunt or a neighbor, a co-worker, if you're feeling called to talk to somebody about spiritual things, expect opposition. The third point, we are called to prepare for battle. So if there's going to be opposition, we've got to prepare for battle. And I want to say that Paul and Barnabas were pretty well prepared for battle. So looking at verse let me turn back verse 9, it starts by saying, but Saul, who was also called Paul, it's kind of an interesting point from this point forward in, in the book of Acts, you'll never hear him referred to as Saul anymore. He's now Paul. This is like that turning point in his life of going from the old person to the new person in this spiritual battle. This is where that turning point takes place, and it's it's really an epic moment. It's like if you're watching this in a movie, this is like when the hero movie come, the hero music comes on, and like Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. You know, it's just like this this gripping moment, and he called him out. He calls out Elminas in a powerful way, a spirit-filled way. It blinds him with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like this victory moment. Paul was clearly prepared for battle. He was expecting opposition, and he was ready to fight. Well, let's talk a little bit about how do we prepare for battle. First, prayer. Prayer. <clears throat> As I made this point in my notes, I struggled a little bit because it sort of sounds like the the easy, obvious Sunday school answer. Doesn't it? Of course, we're supposed to pray. I get it, Pastor. And yet, we say it, we roll our eyes, and yet we just don't really do it. If we're serious about the battle, we've got to be serious about prayer. It can't just be a Sunday school answer. It has to be evident in our lives. I mean, Paul and Barnabas, they were were praying, but they were also covered in prayer. They were sent out with prayer and fasting, but from their church community. Do we pray for each other when we leave these doors? Do we pray for the spiritual battles that we are fighting? Do we pray for the gospel to go forth and whoever we would share it with when we leave these doors? You know, I know at my church, we're not very good at that. I, I, I'm sure that you guys are doing a better job than we are. But I think every church has a bit to learn about this. Second, we, first we've got to pray. Second, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It said, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Well, this could be a little bit of a confusing phrase. I don't want to suggest today that at that moment, the Holy Spirit entered Paul, and gave him powers that he didn't have, and then left him. Now, I believe theologically that if you're a Christian, if you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit has entered into you and resides in you. But I think what, this, what is meant by this moment of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit empowered Paul in that moment in a way that was supernatural. And if all of us have that same Holy Spirit living in us, then that same Holy Spirit has the capability of doing the same thing in our lives. He can fill us in moments of time with the Holy Spirit. He can fill us, even though we're already filled with the Holy Spirit, He can fill us and empower us to do things that are beyond ourselves. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. I can think of a time when, maybe this will shake things up a little bit, maybe you guys think I'm weird, but a time where it was clear that God asked me to pray uh, against demonic forces in someone. I mean, this, and I was out of my zone. I was out of my element. This was not something I was comfortable with at all. But it was like the Holy Spirit just empowered me in that moment to bring freedom for this person. I guess, to me, the point is, are we relying on the Holy Spirit's power for this battle, or are we relying on our own? We have the Holy Spirit, and he is power. Do we look to him? Prayer, the Holy Spirit. Third, support. So we see that Paul was sent out with Barnabas. But we also read that in verse 5, they had John to, to assist them also. So there were actually three of them that went out together. They had support. They also had the support of their church that was praying and fasting for them. There's strength in numbers. Maybe that's why I haven't been so effective at the gym trying to share the gospel with my basketball buddies. There's strength in numbers. Are you praying for each other? Are you together sharing the gospel with people? Do you have support, or are you trying to fight this battle alone? And then another point that I want to make with this as we prepare for spiritual that, it sort of points us to maybe the most important scripture passages about spiritual battle. You know what I'm going to say? Putting on the armor of God. You heard this? The armor of God? Of course. Well, let's just, I'm not going to, I mean, you get—you get a whole sermon on that too. Maybe that'll be in a few years from now. But let me just mention what we're asked to put on. Because those verses, remember what we just read in Ephesians about this, we do not fight against our battles against flesh and blood, but it's the spiritual realm. The spiritual armor, the armor of God, is found exactly directly after that passage. So it's saying that you're in a spiritual battle. It's not a flesh battle. So put on the armor of God. Let's take a look at that armor of God for a moment. It's Ephesians 6.13 if you wanted to follow along. First, we're asked to put on the belt of truth. Okay. we got to know the truth. We're, the gospel truth. Not anything more, not anything less. We can't add to the gospel we can't, in fear, take away from the gospel because we're afraid of offending someone. We need to bring the truth. Second, we're asked to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, we're called to righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. And I think our righteousness is an important part of us, us sharing the gospel and protecting us in the battle. We're asked to put on the shoes, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Christ gave, came to give us peace. Do we go forth? In battle, bringing peace. We're asked to put on the shield of faith, which, if you read that passage, it says in parentheses, which can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. There will be darts, my friends. Maybe you're you're taking some of those darts right now in your life. There will be darts. But our shield is the shield of faith, it's not the shield of human wisdom. It's not the shield of eloquent words. It's not the shield of defensiveness. It's not the shield of protecting yourselves by just hanging out with Christians so that no one else can attack you. Our shield is faith. It's faith in Christ. And if our faith is unshaken in battle, we have our best shield. We're also asked to put on the helmet of salvation. Salvation through Christ alone. Sometimes in battle, I think the way Satan likes to attack us is to cause us to question, you know, am I really okay with God? Am I even really saved? Having assurance of our our helmet of salvation, that if we have proclaimed Christ as our Savior, that we are saved. And finally, we're asked to come to battle with the sword of the Spirit. Now my sword happens to probably be a little bigger than yours. Look at this bad boy. Okay, That's going to do some damage in battle. No, for real. Um, We fight a spiritual battle with God's word. It is our sword. And we would be foolish to go into battle with armor and a shield, but no weapon. I wouldn't be very good at paintball if I went without a gun. But in a way, don't we do that in the spiritual battles battles of our lives? We go into battle without the armor, without our sword. We have to know God's word. We have to read it. We have to memorize it because that is our offense. We can have a good defense, but if we have no offense, it's hard to win the battle. And I know this is a church that loves the word of God, I'm sure Paul has you reading all kinds of stuff and memorizing all kinds of stuff. Maybe there are times where you roll your eyes and think, oh, give me a break, but this is our sword. And if we want to win the battle, we need our sword. We saw in this passage that Paul and Barnabas, they proclaimed the word of God. That's what they went doing from, from village to village on that map, proclaiming the word of God. Sergius Paulus sought to hear the word of God. It's the word. We need to proclaim the word. Sometimes there have been times in my life where I'm trying to convince somebody to accept Christ, and I'm using all kinds of my own logic and my own reasoning and my own, and I fail to point them to the word. You guys, this is more powerful than anything I can say. When we share the gospel with someone, we need to come readied and prepared with God's word and trust that God's word is more powerful than anything I can convince someone of. I've got this buddy of mine in my life named Chad. Dear friend, he's been a friend of mine since fifth grade when he played the trombone and I played the trumpet in band. And I love Chad. Chad is not a believer. And there have been times in my life where I've tried... share the gospel with Chad. And as I look back, there have been a few times where I've done it very much relying on my own words. Trying to convince him. Trying to reason with him. And he's got all kinds of reasoning that he doesn't. And I think this is an important lesson for me. And maybe even the next time that I see Chad, I need to come better prepared with my sword. Not to bloody him but in love. Because I love Chad. And I want to see him in heaven one day. I want to see him know the Lord. I need to come with the word of God. I'm just being honest. That's a, that's a failing that I've had as I've, as I've thought about this. I haven't come with the word. Well, what does that? what does this third point mean for us? It means that we need to be spiritually aware. We need to be prepared for the battle. We need to expect the enemy is going to battle the gospel wherever we go. And we got to fight spiritual battles, not just intellectual ones with people. We need to fight the spiritual battle around us. So this takes me to my fourth point, which is one that I'm very excited about. And this is found in the last verse of our passage today, verse 12, which says, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Our fourth point in sharing the gospel is simply this. Trust God to do his work. Have you ever felt like you've failed in sharing with somebody? Maybe like my friend Chad, where you've talked about God and you've tried to to reason with them and they just haven't responded. Have you ever had that with someone? I think a lot of us have. And it can be so disheartening, so discouraging. My first years of youth ministry, for a while, was really fruitful and really exciting. And I saw kids' lives being changed. And as the Lord called me out of that church, I had a gap of three or four years where I didn't really have much contact with those kids. And then the Facebook revolution took over the world, and I got reconnected with a lot of the kids that I had ministered to four years earlier. I will tell you what, I was really disheartened, because kids that I poured my heart and my life into seemingly had no place for God in their lives anymore. And in a lot of ways, I personalized that. I went through a period of of depression where I just felt like I failed. Like, I'm not cut out for this ministry stuff. And then God spoke to me in his word on this point, that we need to trust God to do his work. Because here's the thing. Uh, the, The passage that spoke to me was the story of the, par- the parable of the four soils. You know, the story where the sower comes and he takes seeds and he starts throwing them around and they land on different kinds of soils. Some of them grow and produce a crop and some grow and die and others never even grow at all. And as I read that passage, I read it in a way that God just illuminated my heart with this truth. I was the sower. And so are you. And if we're the sower in the story, the sower's job is only to scatter seed. And where it falls, apparently has no discretion from the sower. He's just just throwing it out there. It's not the sower's responsibility to make the seed grow. It's God's. what that means for you and me, my friends, is that When we share the gospel, we don't have to be, we don't have to personalize it. We don't have to carry the weight on our shoulders of, oh, I feel like I drove somebody further away from Jesus by talking about it because I offended them. You know what? We're just called to scatter seed. And we we need to just trust that God will do the work that he's going to work. Because theologically, this is important. I can't warm someone's heart to the gospel. I can't do it. That's not my job. That's God's, only God can change someone's heart. God changes people's hearts through his word, which is what we are called to scatter. This is really freeing if you think about it. That person you've been praying for for years, that relative or brother or sister that you just so badly want to know the Lord, it's not your responsibility And it's not your fault. You don't have to feel like you failed as long as you've scattered the seed. Now, what can we do? We can pray. Maybe you can think back to the time when God changed your heart. It wasn't, I mean, I'm sure God used someone as part of that process, but it wasn't that person that changed your heart. It was God. This is what Paul and Barnabas experienced. They saw God do his work. We don't know what happened from throughout that whole island of, of Cyprus until we got to this last destination. They might have been scattering a whole lot of seed that didn't grow. But they were faithful. They scattered it. And at this point, God chose to change one person's heart. One important person, Sergius Paulus, the proconsul. He heard the word of God, he asked to hear more, and he believed. We are called to proclaim the gospel. We're called to scatter seed. Some of you have maybe not done a very good job of that. Maybe you've been fearful. It is scary. Maybe you've been afraid not only of your own image, but... You've been afraid that you won't have the right words to say or that you're going to drive someone further away from God if you try to push it or talk to him. And I want you to just let yourself be free a little bit. Whether they respond or not isn't up to you, and it doesn't depend on you. It's up to God. God may choose to use you to scatter that seed that he will blossom into an incredible, beautiful plant that will bear fruit and be a crop. All he's asking you to do is scatter seed. And I believe that's very important for each of you in your personal lives, wherever you're at, in school, in your workplace, in your neighborhoods. But I also think that's an important word for this church. Here on, what is this street called? Wood Street. God has positioned you here now And we don't know what God has for your future, but he has you here now. And I believe that while you're here, God is calling you to scatter seed that could bear a crop in this community, right down Wood Street, right down whatever this street is. Will you accept that call? And will you know as you do it that you will face opposition? I'm sure your church has already faced opposition in even getting into this building, right? It was a long journey. You got here, had unexpected more battles to fight against mold and other things. Okay. There is going to be a battle because the gospel is going to go forth in this, in this room. Expect it. Pray against it. Fight against it. Pick up your swords. This is an important battle. There are souls at stake. If the gospel is true, which I'm convinced that it is, We need Christ. And so does each and every person in this community. And you're called to be that light in this community now. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for these words here in Acts 13. Lord, I thank you that you have given us a job to do in proclaiming your gospel and proclaiming the truth. But Lord also that in this spiritual battle you have given us all of the weapons we need to fight and to to win the battle. Lord, I thank you that you free us from the responsibility of someone else's salvation, but that that is your work alone. Lord, I thank you for this example that see, we see from Paul and Barnabas who had courage to listen, to tune the dial into what you're saying, and to also obey. And Lord, if there is anyone here today that you are calling, that you are prompting, or that you're moving in their hearts to take action from this message today, whether it be a a a year-and-a-half missionary journey or a conversation with, with a coworker or friend, Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to leave this room just as Paul and Barnabas did in obedience, that we would have courage And Lord, that we would pray for each other as we leave. That we would share these battles that we have to fight with each other so that we can pray and fast together and support each other. Lord, I thank you for Missy O'Day Church. Lord, I thank you for what you've called them to and what you're doing in them now. Lord, and I thank you for the opportunity to just be here to share your word with them. I pray that it would go forth. In Jesus' name, amen.